0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Ropé, he's Chris D'Angelo, and we know that we're a Villanova podcast, but the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. Fly, Eagles, fly, on the road to victory. E-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles! Ah! Chris, are you sad?
1: You know what? Yes, I am, Eugene. I am. Because what I wanted to happen was the Eagles to lose. And that would have eliminated them, obviously. And that would have been good, because I don't like the Eagles this year. I'm not a big fan. And then the Vikings would have had a home Super Bowl. And as a Packer fan, that sucks. But the Patriots would have whooped them. And seeing the Vikings lose a home Super Bowl would have been just this funny. And then, so I was rooting for the Short-term payoff of the Eagles' loss and the long-term payoff of the Vikings' home Super Bowl loss. But we are now treated to a rematch of, a, of the 2004 season Super Bowl, 2005 actual Super Bowl. So, y- yay? No, this is just—no, I don't want to see the Patriots in it again. I didn't want to see the Eagles in it with Nick freaking Foles. <sighs> Can we get something different? Can we get, like, Jacksonville, Minnesota? Two different teams. Two weird, odd teams in a Super Bowl, no, we just get the standard Patriots, Eagles. I know the Eagles haven't been in a while, but still,
0: I find it hilarious that you're a Packer fan, but you you have so much disdain for the Eagles. It's so random. Like I'm a Giant <sighs> fan, and I should be hating this, but I, I like it. I'm embracing I'm this.
1: No, you're right. It is a little irrational of me. I I have my reasons, though. I have my reasons, and. And it's more, it's more so than just 4th and 26, and it's more so than McNabb, and it's more so than Terrell Owens. Like, I, I'm, I'm pretty much over that. But it's just the new wave of the uh, of Eagles fans, I guess you can say, that has been uh, irritating me more so than in, than in years past.
0: Well, one, as one article put it, it's the Philly fans versus the mass holes. So really two fan bases that only really like each other, like their own kind. Like, the outside doesn't really have a positive perception of them. But I am all for Eagles Nation. I guess it's because it's my former employer, and I'm hyped on that, that they are going to the Super Bowl. I know you don't like it, but I think I'm rooting for Philadelphia. I'm definitely rooting for Philadelphia. I guess, honestly, the rest of America is rooting for Philadelphia, except for Chris Sanjial and everyone in the northeast of New York.
1: Well, I'm rooting for the Pats for several reasons. One, I always vowed to root for them in the Super Bowl after they won in one when, when I, I was just like, oh, this team's cool. I like them. They, I'm going to root for them every time they're in it. A little bit I know they'd be in it seven more times after that. Also, the fact that if Nick Foles wins the Super Bowl, he will have the same amount of rings as Aaron Rodgers. That does not sit well with me. Three, maybe if the Patriots win, just, just there's, there's a small part of me that believes that pa- Brady and Belichick will call it quits, and then the Patriots dynasty will cease to exist, and then that's it.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. Take one for the team now, and then... Yeah. That'll mean the end of ring chasing for Tom Brady and company.
1: Exactly my point. Exactly my point. If, if Tom Brady and Bill Belichick lose to a Nick Foles-led team, I don't I don't think that's going to sit well with them. And then they'll just proceed to win the next three. So how about we all just bite the bullet now? What's an extra Super Bowl for New England and Brady? Who cares? What's the difference between five and six? We're really? Well, who cares at this point? So let's just give them another one. Let them go, go right off into the sunset. And we can hopefully have uh, some new teams in the 0 next year.
0: Very interesting argument. Very compelling. I never thought of it like that. But bleeding green right now. Bleeding green right now. Coming from a Giants fan.
1: Oh, you know, stop.
0: You know those people who are like, oh, much love coming from a, your arch rival team.
1: Yeah. Like, what? why do you have to identify as your yeah. rival team? Like, can't you just be a like a nice human being? And just be like, hey, I'm rooting for you guys. Who cares what affiliation you are?
0: Let's say your rival team does something classy, like like a nice community gesture. It's like, oh, wow, classy move coming from a Yankees fan.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Or, yeah. or it's like, like Alabama Auburn, and it's like Alabama does something really nice for a kid. And yeah. then, like, oh, yeah, very classy move, but, you know, repping Auburn until I
1: die. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, it it makes no sense. That that aggravates me as well. I mean,
0: we'll have two weeks to stew over all the ridiculous storylines and fun questions that'll come from Super Bowl and the media craze that's going to come. But until then, it's more Villanova basketball. And yesterday was just another Monday and another week on top with the Wildcats capturing their third straight number one ranking in the new AP poll and the new coaches poll. For anyone who is paying attention... We now only have two Big East teams that are ranked in the top 25, and that's Villanova, obviously a number one, and Xavier, who is now number eight. Everyone else has fallen off, most notably Seton Hall and Creighton. They are in the receiving vote section, and Providence also nabbed a couple of votes as well. So I guess that kind of begs the whole question, like what would you rather see, five ranked Big East teams or two very highly ranked two Big East teams? How are you liking it so far? What are your, what are your thoughts on the poll?
1: Yeah, it kind of seems that this conference is uh, cannibalizing itself a little bit as of right now. I mean, obviously, we have, what, two two months left in the season, a little under two months now, so teams have plenty of time to separate themselves. But this is kind of like two years ago, we were talking about this off-air, where it's basically just Villanova and Xavier, the two top teams, with a bunch of teams floating around the low 20s and receiving votes section now. I didn't think that would happen this year. I thought Seton Hall would pretty much stay consistent in the polls, maybe Creighton eking in and out i wouldn't say it's a bad look because it, it shows that other teams are actually winning in this conference which i guess is good for come tournament time but you're not going to have the high seeds it's just going to be nova as a one or a two xavier as a one two or a three so and then, then everyone else kind of filling in at like six through nine i mean obviously you hope that some teams are able to differentiate themselves a little bit and, and put themselves into maybe like a four or five seed
0: yeah 2015-16 season if you saw what the polls looked like At the beginning or first week of conference play, you saw maybe four or five different Big East teams ranked in the top 25. And then by season's end, it was just Villanova and Xavier. Right now, we're headed for something similar. But yeah, it's always nice to see multiple teams ranked. But I guess that's just a testament to the level of competition within the Big East and teams cannibalizing each other or just knocking each other down. Like, Seton Hall, did, did you expect them to lose two straight? I didn't. I surely didn't.
1: No, no, I did not. I thought they at least best uh, Xavier at home.
0: Yeah, and now because of their two losses, they've fallen out of the rankings. Creighton beat Seton Hall, but then lost their last game of the week. So it's just kind of like a toss-up between those number three to six Big East schools. But right now, Villanova and Xavier are clearly in front with the rest of the teams falling behind. We'll see how this goes moving forward. But this past weekend, Villanova took care of business. They played the UConn Huskies, reigniting that old rivalry, two former Big East foes. It was all fun and games. You know, it was a nice for the storylines. But by the time the ball went up in the air and the game finally began, we were looking at two totally different teams. Villanova just completely outclassed UConn, winning 81-61. to 61. And honestly, that, that score was a lot closer than it should have been.
1: Yeah, the score was kind of a little, little bit of a liar. This really should have been a, a bigger blowout, and it just Connecticut's just so bad. We were saying in the preview show, you know, they're just not as good as years past, but I think a lot of Connecticut's faults had to do with Villanova's prowess. I, I think they played a great defensive game. Offensively, they played fine. They shot 41% from the field, 38% from three, but 40 of the 68 shots were three. I don't really know if I like that type of volume shooting. I mean, a lot of them are open, so I can't really fault them for that. But i like to see them work the ball inside more. I guess in this type of game, I guess you want to get your three-point shots in. Why why the heck not? You're already blowing them out anyway. But at the same time, you don't want to fall into a lull of just hacking up threes, hacking up threes. But 38% of them fell, so I'll I'll take it. Jalen had a good game. Dante had a good game, both in double figures. they only two in double figures, actually, which is kind of surprising when this team put up 81 points. Everyone else was just hovering around nine. Bellman with nine, but he had 12 boards. He was good on the glass. Bridges had nine and nine. Booth had nine with six assists. Pretty decent all around game. Really, I'm, I really can't really harp any negatives here.
0: Yeah, and then on UConn's side, you had Jalen Adams. We knew that he was basically their leading man, and he led the way with 19 points, but shot just seven of 20 on the floor. Christian Vital had 15. And freshman Josh Carlton, who I'm on Kidwai in our little QA preview with the UConn blog. He highlighted him as a player to watch out for outside of their big three dynamic with Terry Larrier Adams and Christian Vital. He did pretty good. He had 13 points and nine rebounds with five for ten on the floor. But honestly, this game was just such a no contest. Once Villanova got a shot to fall, they just completely just blew UConn out of the water. In the beginning it was very interesting. It was very physical. It was very exciting to watch. I I love Villanova's intensity. I thought they came out with just such a, we're going to go out there and we're going to get that win and we're going to just destroy you while we're at it. Guys we were just flying all over the court for loose balls. It was like scrum here and there. One of my favorite parts of the game was right in the very beginning. I think it kind of set the tone. There was a loose ball, both teams diving at it. In one scrum, the ball rolls into another scrum and then eventually finds its way to Mikhail Bridges, who just comes in and just puts down a posterizer, stares his guy down, and it just felt like the beginning of the game. It was like foreshadowing what was to come. It was very physical, but it was very clear that Villanova was such a better team. Jalen Brunson did get trucked at one point, and I was like, oh, wow, the refs are really letting them play today. But it was really no problem. I didn't really have an, a problem with officiating. I thought it was fine. I think it was a nice change of pace because, you know, often at times we're too critical of the refs to not let them play. Or just be too whistle-happy, and then all of a sudden the flow is just absolutely destroyed. Nova led by 21.5, taking a 39-18 to 18 lead into the break. It was pretty much decided from there. They stretched their lead to as high as 31. At the end, when you had the walk-ons back, and the guys at the end of the bench, UConn started coming back in it. It should have been like a 40 30-point blowout, but instead we got 20, which is honestly a pretty good problem to have. If that's the only thing that we can find wrong with this game, that's a pretty good problem to have. One other thing to note, it felt like Villanova was getting every single offensive rebound, at least in the first half, especially. The Wildcats out-rebounded UConn by 16, which is not so often you see Villanova out-rebound a team like that. Mm -hmm. And when they're doing that, one, it's great. It's a great sign. And it also shows that UConn is probably not that great. But one thing that surprised me was that Villanova only had 10 second chance points. With all the, the offensive boards they got. I was honestly shocked and surprised to see that at the end of the game, they only had 10. Felt like they had way more.
1: Certainly did, but yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly <laughs> how, how they only put up 10. I, it's just one of those weird, weird, weird things. But it, hey, it's encouraging to see that they are getting the offensive rebounds and. I mean, I guess since Connecticut's such a guard-laden team, but, I mean, Connecticut was getting their fair share of offensive rebounds, too. I mean, at least Carlton was. He got six of the eight for UConn, so he was, he was having a nice little day on the boards. But other than that, yeah, Villanova just dominated, and I thought Eastman and Spellman did a great job on the block. And, and DCR, too. How can I forget him? They, Those three, they, they had a great game underneath the basket.
0: Pascal and Spellman, they didn't really like the scoreboard, but they really cleaned up the glass, and they did a pretty good job there. And Eastman had a few nice dimes which was also good to see. Brunson, phenomenal as always. DiVincenzo had another nice game off the bench, drained five threes. It was interesting to see. The shots were really falling from deep, but when you have Brunson and DiVincenzo draining 10 of the team's 15 trays, can't really have a problem with that. And all the looks were really good. It was just a matter of them falling. In the beginning, it was just kind of a slow start, but once Villanova got it going, it was just clear who was the better team on the court. Really no question there. This was the first of three games Next year is going to be at Madison Square Garden, and then it'll finally conclude at the Wells Fargo Center. But, Chris, thoughts on this rivalry? Like, there are all these thoughts or, you know, all these arguments about do we want UConn in the Big East? Do you think they would go to the Big East? In your opinion, what do we have a higher chance of seeing? UConn going to the Big East, staying in the AAC, or moving somewhere else? And what would you like to see?
1: Good question. They want to move so bad that I just don't see any conference taking them in. I, I really don't. Because they would obviously have to bring along football with anyone in, like, ACC. Like, they're, they're set football-wise. What other what conferences are, are they possibly eligible for? That that would make sense. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I honestly... I flip-flopped on this issue so many times, especially last year. We talked about it a bunch. And honestly, you know what? What, what the hell not? Why not? Why not bring them back? Who cares at this point? I mean, it, it's it would be nice to get another original Big East team back in there. So, I would really appreciate it on that end. So, in reality... I don't see them going anywhere, but I would like for them to come to the Big East.
0: Wow, you really changed your views. I remember you were a very hard proponent for them to not come.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm starting to realize if, if they can just leave football at the door and, and just kind of stick, could they could they have the dual membership with AAC football and then Big East basketball? They could do that, right? Yeah, I'm sure what?
0: there might be like some buyout clause that they could probably afford at this point. Maybe yeah. in
1: a couple years or so. Yeah, that's true. I, I so I would be fine with that.
0: Yeah, I, I would still like to see UConn come to the Big East. I understand that they're not so hot right now, but UConn still a pretty big brand. It's one of those recognizable brands, especially in college basketball. Yeah, it might be all because of Jim Calhoun. Um, I have mixed feelings about Kevin Olley, and I'm sure a lot of those Huskies fans do too. UConn would bring a lot to the table in like, a historical sense, and seeing how they were one of like the old-timer Big East schools. I think right now they're just hitting a valley, but I think they're gonna find they're gonna eventually hit a peak. They're recruiting very well. They get five star talent. Altari Gilbert was a McDonald's All American, but he's injured right now. Terry Larrier is a pretty solid pickup. VCU transfer Jalen Adams is obviously great. Like they get guys. They get guys. It's just a matter of just putting that product together on the court, whether or not it's Ollie or if it needs to be another coach or whatever the problem may be, I think UConn is still a pretty big brand in college basketball, just like Georgetown still is. Georgetown's yeah. still a big college mm-hmm. basketball brand. They might not necessarily be a good team, but they're very recognizable, and it's pretty big marketability.
1: You are right about the big brand stuff. Like, the Yankees were dormant for, what, a couple years? But now, like, they have like, some life to them, and now, like, they're blowing up, and, like, everybody wants to watch the Yankees and all. Like, if UConn or Georgetown suddenly got good again... I feel like everyone would want to watch them and go see them. So you're exactly right with that. But I will say this with a little bit of a caveat to that UConn thing. I still, I don't, I, I would like them back in the Big East, but I, they still wouldn't be my number one choice if the Big East were to add another team. And I know we can only really add one more to keep the round robin thing, which is what I, which I'm really fond of. To me, I, I still think the big get would be Wichita State. I know it's not technically East Coast, but I feel like it's close enough to creating where it would work. I would still rather Wichita State in the Big East before UConn, but if it meant picking one and Wichita State was unavailable, I, I, I would stick with UConn.
0: Yeah, Wichita State is say it's probably a hard grab considering how they just moved to the AAC, but I would still like to see UConn. Obviously, there's a lot of logistics, especially football-wise, that they need to figure out, but if they could, I don't see why not. I think it would be nice, especially because – seeing how UConn just kind of got left with the leftovers of the old Big East. You had the ACC schools like Syracuse dart. Louisville eventually darted after like a year in the AAC. Rutgers. How, how did Rutgers even find his way to a Power 5 conference before UConn? is beyond <laughs> me. Uh, I've and never then, done that. Yeah, and then the Catholic 7 schools, they saw the writing on the wall, and they're like, you know what? We're going to form our own conference, and we're going to take the Big East name while we're at it, and that just kind of left UConn with South Florida. UCF, like it's just yeah. it doesn't really – they they just seem – they don't fit. They just don't fit the AAC.
1: They don't, but they kind of did it to themselves, don't you think? A little bit, a little bit. I
0: don't, I don't know if they did. I, I think everyone had just left them, and that was kind of the problem. I mean, maybe they could have hopped on the Catholic 7 thing because Butler's not a Catholic school, so maybe they could have found their way in. But, like- that, but that football team has really held them back a ton, I think.
1: Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, they could have just been like, oh, we, we prioritize basketball, something that we've actually won at in years past, instead of going with the cash cow and football, where they're absolutely horrific, and basically determined what conference they go to.
0: Yeah, maybe an FCS move would work, but... Uh... They gotta, they gotta do something about that. It's just not pretty over there.
1: Yeah, no, it's not. I'm, not. I'm not saying they have to go FCS, but I feel like they could have done the dual membership. I don't know. I, 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 I'm not an AD, so I, I wouldn't.
0: Meanwhile, Notre Dame gets to do whatever the hell it wants. It's like, oh, we're an independent, but we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna be part of the ACC unofficially, but we're still an independent.
1: Yeah, they're they're always the exception somehow. <laughs> Unbelievable. It always benefits them. So before we talk about
0: tonight's Providence game, we put UConn in the rearview. We need to talk about some really hot fire takes that was brought to view Hoops' attention yesterday. I don't know if you saw the daily links, but.
1: I did. I did. Oh, yeah.
0: New York Post. Add it again.
1: (laughs) My favorite.
0: First, we had Zach Braziller talking about Villanova getting all the calls getting all the favorable calls, and because of that, they stole a game from St. John's. But now, we have Phil Mushnick. He released a few takes on various objects and things happening in the sports world. And if you scroll to the very bottom of, of this article, you got a take on Jay Wright. And the section of his, I guess this is like a, a regular column, it's called Equal Time, where he just talks about different things, called it Wright Stinks in Garbage Time. And it's not long. It's very short if you haven't read already, and you feel very brave, and you're very thick-skinned, and you're not of the faint of heart. Go navigate your way to Monday's Daily Links and check out this post. It's the first one. Mushnick sounds off on Jay Wright, basically criticizing the fact that he didn't put the walk-ons at the end of the game, or not until very late, and then that he had starters going first-string starters going very late in the game, even though it was such a blowout. And because of that, he felt that it was kind of a shot at student-athletes saying, quote, Furthermore, the ends of big-time college basketball benches are typically where the legitimate student-athletes sit, those who help the basketball team's graduation rates. He felt that Jay Wright was slighting the bench mob, that it was a slap in their face, that he didn't play them, even though Villanova's up by so much. And I feel like we see this debate a lot of times in which it's people criticize the coach for not putting his reserves in. What were your thoughts on Mushnick calling out Jay, saying that by not playing them until very, very late in the game was extra wrong and that Brian Custer and Bill Raffery not saying a word about it was also wrong?
1: I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not agreeing with him. I'm just prefacing this with something that I've, I've kind of thought for a while. That I do think that Jay leaves the starters in just a tad too long, just a tad too long, and it's not. And I'm not angry at him for it. It just concerns me because I'm afraid one day that someone is going to get hurt, and in a meaningless, meaningless time of a meaningless game, in like fa- in the middle of January. Like I don't, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see our best, one of our best players get hurt because they're up thirty and they're still in the game. Like if someone got hurt at the end of that Georgetown game, how, how I would have been miserable. Now that being said, <laughs> that's that's Jay's prerogative, and that's what he's been doing for you. So you're just used to it. But that has nothing to do with with him disrespecting student athletes. I mean, are you kidding? Villanova has one of the best, if not has has one of the best graduating percentages for a basketball program in the entire country they the student the, villanova's basketball program epitomizes what a student athlete is they stay three to four years they get their degree and then they go on the bigger and better things that's their starters the bench players they're just are there too to do the same thing they just don't play as much because they're just not as good but what, what that makes no sense like if you're saying this about duke or or kentucky one of the mercenary schools i, I guess i kind of get it even then it's a little ridiculous but to criticize the coach for not putting in the walk-ons for two and a half minutes instead of three and a half minutes is absolutely absurd. And then to claim that it's because Jay's disrespecting the student-athlete brand and because they're there to boost the grades, when in reality, the grades are pretty good with if you just kept the, the starters and the graduation rates are, are good enough where if you just had the starters out there. <laughs> it's just sheer lunacy. And it's the New York Post at its absolute, absolute finest.
0: I was just at a loss for words reading this. I feel like he did not, he definitely did not do his research, definitely did not look into Villanova more. But if there was a school where quote-unquote student-athlete was a thing, it's definitely at Villanova. Yes, there's a stereotypical, like you said, mercenary schools like Kentucky, the basketball team, they're not really there to be student-athletes. Or you had Ben Simmons getting a .5 GPA, and because of that, he was left off of awards because he didn't want to go play school. He wasn't there for class.
1: Completely forgot about him. You're right.
0: And for complaining about Jay for not playing his walk-ons enough, first of all, I think you should be thanking Jay for having four walk-ons. Where do you see a top basketball program having four walk-ons? There are four on this roster right now. Yes, Villanova has a long tradition of honoring and welcoming the walk on we see how much the fans love them their hard work on the practice squad they get rewarded with a spot on the team they even get scholarship money it's great it's great you know there are people who dog jay for saying hey why don't we just use one of these walk on spots for an actual player who can help us out and boost our team and we can make a legitimate run with more even more talented four star five star recruits i get it but he's upholding this tradition of a walk on that's been there since God knows how long. We look at walk-ons as kind of like the underdog players who, you know, they do their job, they work hard in practice, they go to class, they do the right things on the court, off the court, they cheer for their teammates. Even when they're on the bench, they're engaged, they're rowdy, they're just as much into it as if they were on the court. And they get rewarded with a spot on the team and, and scholarship money. We have four guys. There, there's no other – it's kind of unheard of to see a, a top-tier basketball team have four walk on spots when they can be using that for actual or I don't want to say actual players but like the blue chip talent that you see coming out of high school like you'll see at Kentucky or you'll see at Duke or you'll see some of these other blue bloods Kansas you know the other part into this is that their walk ons they know what their roles on the team are they know that they're not going to get to play much they know that they're not the star they might have been the star in high school but that's not how it's going to work on Villanova their their job is to be a, pra- a great practice player support the team, keep the energy up, keep the vibes positive, and just be in it. And then when they get playing time, that's kind of a reward for doing their job. I don't know what Mushnik's going for here. I don't understand why he would, you know, first of all, he's complaining to Jay for not playing them enough, even though Jay has probably more walk-ons than any other program out there right now. And to talk about how they're the quote-unquote real student athletes, the men's basketball team has had a 100% graduation rate for almost all of the decade, with exception to the, to the guys like Lowry and company who left early. Lowry, Dominic Cheek, uh, who else? Malik Wayne's like they left early. But outside of that, all the guys who stayed where Villanova, you typically stay for three, four years. You get your degree and you contribute in life. Like you said, they go on to bigger, better things. I don't understand what he means by quote, unquote, real student athlete when Villanova is at the top academically in the Big East and nationwide. I mean, Forbes just named them last year to one of 25 college programs that dominate academically and athletically. And to see a 100% graduation success rate, <laughs> I think the numbers speak for themselves and they don't lie. And last time I checked, 100% doesn't and cat- cater to just the walk-ons. It's the whole team, from the stars to the guys at the end of the bench.
1: Yeah, I'm just starting to think that Mushnick just, just kind of cherry-picked the game. I think he was hearing, like, oh, look, it's a historically bad loss for Georgetown. Let's tune in. And then he tunes in and sees the star uh, – the- majority of the Villanova starters in with about three minutes to go. And he's like, oh, well, you know what time to time to write some mean thoughts. And and it's funny. He prefaced the thought with like, I love watching Villanova basketball because they're such a team game. You're like going against what you're saying in, in the first part of your claim here. Do you think that the mercenary schools are playing a team game? No, they're playing one on one NBA style basketball. Like, like the, the whole team style is basically this, the guys who stay for th- three to four years because they want to be quote unquote student athletes. So it really baffled me. Like I was at a loss for words reading that. I was just like, "Dude, come on!" It was so cherry picked, and just it just felt like he just wanted to say something to kind of get everyone riled up, which he did. I like think that was his purpose. He did a good job.
0: I remember a couple of years ago, I got to interview the old bench mob: Henry Lowe, Patrick Farrell, Ken Rafferty, for like a piece for received of Basketball Love, and I kind of I asked him, you know, how do you how do you feel about the bench mob chance when the Wildcats are up by a twenty? And it's about three or four minutes ago. Students start chanting for your name and you don't get out there. How does that make you feel? And what surprised me was how they were all for it. They said this is a great time for some of the younger guys on this team to go out there and learn how to navigate against the press or get some other quality playing time to practice some concepts that they talked about in practice. And, uh, you know, they took it a lot better than I would have. And I feel like there's probably an adjustment period in the beginning, but it's just a testament to the culture that Jay Wright's built of that, you know, being unselfish, being about a family, being about a team. That they'll forego two minutes of playing time on national TV if it means like a Demir Cosby-Roundstreet or Con Gillespie or Jermaine Sanders, one of the younger guys, gets to go up against the press and learn what it's like because you don't really get a real simulation practice. To Mr. Mushnick, watch more games. You know, engulf yourself more into the Villanova culture. For Jay Wright, you you keep doing you. You you got this. You're doing the right things.
1: Yeah, just don't don't listen to these clowns.
0: Yeah, yeah. Jay Wright is probably driving on his way to Villanova, and you know he's he's definitely listening to the podcast. Or you know, no, no, no. Jay Wright doesn't have to drive. He has a driver. He definitely has a driver. And he's like, oh, can I get the ox cord? I'm about to play some State of Nova Nation. And the driver's like, oh, already got you. I'm about to put it on right now. But first, let me check out my daily links. But, Jay, you keep doing you. You got this. Forget about these clowns because you got a game coming up tonight against the Providence Friars, 6.30 p.m. For those of you who can't make it to the Wells Fargo Center, it'll be on Fox Sports 1. Chris, what are your thoughts on this year's Friars? What can we expect from them? Going to the season, they only lost one guy who transferred out and everyone else was coming back. They're fourteen and six right now. What are your thoughts on Ed Cooley's guys?
1: So Providence coming off a four-game win streak coming into this game. Home win against Xavier at the Paul and then two home wins against Butler and Creighton. So you got three pretty good pretty good wins cobbled into that four-game win streak. They did lose to Marquette earlier this year at home in overtime where they got absolutely lit up by Marcus Howard. And they did also beat St. John's, and lose to Creighton on the road. They got shellacked by Creighton in that game, but then they were able to get their revenge with the game at the dunk. I think we all know, and I think it's expected, that Providence is a much different team from at the dunk and then on the road. With this game being a Villanova, Villanova shouldn't have that much trouble. But personnel-wise, for Providence, you got four players averaging double-digit points. Rodney Bullock, he's got 16 points, and is the star player for Providence. He had a big year last year, and he, he's expanding his role. Your typical good Providence player. He's not going to light you up, but he's not going to do. He's not going to have a quiet night either. Uh, Alpha Diallo. He's kind of stepped into a bigger role this year as well, averaging just under twelve points per game. Kyron Cartwright, familiar name. He's averaging about half points per game. And Jalen Lindsey, another familiar name. Man, these guys. I feel like they they've been there for like at least ten years. And Jalen Lindsey rounding out the the big four for Providence, averaging just around ten points per game. Bullock and Diallo—they—they're also the big rebounders for Providence. And as a team, they—they're they're not a bad three-point shooting team. They shoot around thirty-eight percent from from deep, and from the field, they shoot about they forty-seven percent. So they have a good offense. They are a good team. It's just two different animals with Providence. From team at the Dunk and Donuts Center and the team on the road, it's just two completely different animals. And with this game being on the road, I think Villanova should be okay.
0: Yeah, definitely a different team when they're not playing in the comfort of their home arena. Seeing how they're coming to Villanova, obviously Villanova's the clear favorite here, but it's not going to be a fun time for Providence. Rodney Bullock, he's the top scorer right now, but I think he's kind of slowed down. He's kind of been a little bit of a funk. He hasn't been shooting all that well, but he is still averaging 16 a game. He's their go-to guy when they need it. Kyron Cartwright, probably one of the better facilitators around. Not scoring as much, but in my opinion, while Rodney Bullock is their top scorer, Cartwright is probably their most important player. He really gets him going. I think he's a tremendous facilitator. I love his game. He's averaging 6.4 assists. Fantastic at point guard. And seeing his senior year, he's looking to go out with a bang. But Alpha Diallo is probably the guy that I would keep a real close eye on. He's a sophomore, really building off of his freshman season. He's improved as a player. Doesn't really light up from deep. He's more of an interior threat. But he's been crashing the boards a lot more. And he's just been a much better contributor. He's coming off of a big 21-point game with 10 rebounds and four assists to go along with that against Creighton in that revenge win over the Blue Jays. So he's coming in a little hot. He's coming in ready. This Providence team, they're okay. They love to balance it around. Something about Providence, I I don't know what it is. I just have a hard time watching them. This will not make any sense at all. It's not going to make any sense at all. I I don't really have facts or anything like metrics to back it up. I don't see them... Given Villanova a problem, I don't think they're going to pull off the upset. But one thing to watch for is that this is one of the better three-point perimeter defenses around. They've been holding opponents to just shooting 30.5% from deep, which is not a lot. They're top 15 in the country right now. Ed Cooley's a tough coach. Got to get a lot out of his guys. But I got the Cats winning tonight. As do I. Once again, tip-off is at 6.30 tonight. If you can't make it, it'll be on FS1. We got Mary O'Connor. She will be covering for View Hoops tonight. Keep an eye for that View Hoops live Twitter. She'll be rocking it, and the cats will be rocking it on the court too. So as we put the men's team aside for now, we're gonna go over to the ladies, who finally, 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 finally will get that much-needed break because they just finished up a tough 11-day stretch in which they played six games in as many days. And the last two were probably the toughest. Nepal on Friday night and the Marquette on Sunday afternoon on FS1. Chris, it was a fun weekend. It was probably an exhausting one. But let's start off with that DePaul game first. What were your thoughts on that big lopsided victory? I know you had them winning. I know you saw this coming. But now to just see the ladies just go out there and just throttle the Blue Demons at home, winning 84 to 58. What were your thoughts on that lopsided victory?
1: At least just to start off the game, absolutely phenomenal defense by Villanova. They forced so many turnovers in that first quarter. You know, on top of the missed shots, they only allowed five points in the first. Absolutely fantastic job and they scored 19 of their own so as a result you're already up 14 at your in your own place it's kind of hard to choke that away you, you would have to really try to really blow that one then they had an offensive firework in the second quarter their defense kind of lapsed a bit they allowed 26 but then they were able to put up 29 on their own third quarter was pretty much even and then the fourth quarter they were able to close it out for an 84 58 victory and i was keeping track of this game and i was like wow i thought they would win but i didn't think it was going to be in this type of manner absolutely phenomenal game. On Villanova's end, offensively, they shot 10 of 21 from deep. Absolutely phenomenal performance from deep, and that's exactly what you needed. 33 of 58 from the field, and I have to say, it was a well-rounded effort. Yes, Han had 17. Yes, Lewin had 17 as well. But Gadeka off the bench had 14. It It was just a great game all around by the Cats. I really had no problems with it. Against one of the top teams in the Big East, it was just an absolute perfect performance and it makes you one it's almost frustrating watching that a type of game like this because it's like where was this against butler when you lost to them where was this in the the past a week or so against like st john you know this is in them you know they have this type of game in them so obviously when they have when they're up against the big team they could pull it out you just kind of hope that they're able to put this together for games in the future and it's not just a one-time occurrence against a, a good team at home
0: yeah, truly dominated performance by the Lady Cats. I was a little skeptical, but like you said last time we were on the show, if there was a game to pick to win, it was definitely DePaul, and they definitely got the bounce-back win that they needed. Such a resounding effort. It's totally dominating, and sh- just a shout-out to Adriana Hahn for collecting her 1,000th point. She had an excellent game on Friday night with 17 points, 7 assists, and 7 of 10 shooting, but she got her 1,000th. Just a junior. So, we'll see how high she can take it, but big shout-outs to her. While we were hoping that this would build some momentum, going up against the top team in the conference on Sunday with Marquette, we saw that Marquette pretty much destroys every team by 20, at least, with exception to DePaul, who they beat in a pretty closely contested game overall. Pretty competitive one. Villanova did not get blown out by 20. They kept it pretty competitive, but ultimately... They just fell, in the, especially in the second half. Once they got behind, they, they were just playing catch-up the whole time and just couldn't reach the Golden Eagles, losing 67-57. Chris, what were your thoughts on this one?
1: You said that they were playing catch-up the whole time, but I got to say they, they played a pretty decent type game. They hung with them tough. I mean, obviously you want to see them win, but to pull off two big wins like that back-to-back, it is a little tough to do. I don't really fault them with that, but I, I think the determination was the three-point shooting. They only shot five of twenty-three from deep—an exact roll reversal against the Paul, where they went ten of twenty-one. That's you needed to hit your threes in this type of game to even have a shot. And even with the five of twenty-three performance from deep, they still—I mean—they lost by ten, sizable margin, but it, it's close. It's a close enough game. It just got eaten alive again by Erica Davenport. She's an absolute beast against Villanova. Twelve boards on top of twenty-two points. I highlighted her in the preview but she just has field days against Villanova. It's just what she does. And then the player of the year candidate, Eliza Blockton, she contributed 21 of her own, including eight boards. Great all-around player. And just as a side note, I just found it funny. Marquette only attempted 10 threes, which is pretty funny to see because you see all these teams attempting at least 20 in the women's games nowadays. But they, they do all their damage inside because of the great cutting ability from Blockton. And the ability to get inside. And Davenport, obviously, you yeah, have working out on the block there. So Marquette played a great game. Villanova did what they could. They obviously could have played. They could have shot a lot better. But I, I think they gave a, a valiant enough effort.
0: Yeah, it was certainly a tough one. Obviously, one in the middle win. You're hoping for it. But Marquette just kind of flexed their toughness and flexed that inside presence that we've seen. Give Villanova a hard time. Blocked in. Real deal, I'd say. Real deal. And Davenport was fabulous, as we expected. Villanova did a pretty good job on the perimeter, but it's just hard. And maybe if they made a few more threes or if they didn't have as bad of a shooting day, then who knows what would happen. Completely different game. But a valiant effort. Obviously, you want to win it. But I thought this was a pretty good game by Villanova. Balanced effort with Mary Gadeka and Alex chipping in 11 each. Right now, they finally got that much-needed rest. They will not have a game until Friday when they take on Xavier on the road. We will preview that game and the Butler one on Sunday for next time. So we're going to hold that aside. But, yeah, they finally got that break. I couldn't imagine. I I hope Perry Preda doesn't schedule a stretch like this again because that was just grueling. And to top that off with the two best teams in the conference, probably not ideal. But it was good to see them split the series instead of just getting blown out in both or lose both because that would have just been demoralizing.
1: Yeah, they really just needed one win to just keep their spirits high. And two perfect opportunities to do it against two of the top teams the Big East. And, yeah, I know they got a little bit of a layoff here, which is great, because, like you said, they just had a grueling stretch this, these past couple of weeks. But then they go back on the road for back-to-back games. Granted, it's against not some of the best competition in the Big East, but at the same time, just to go back on the road, it's just like, ah, really, again, I mean, at least they'll get a little bit of a break here.
0: Well, it's that time of the day where we time to the mailbag answer your questions and talk about some things that you want us to talk about if you have any questions for us as always you can tweet us or you can leave it in the comment section of a podcast thread and we will get to them and we will answer them the first question from th-8516-vu otherwise known as t holmes who would be on your mount rushmore of vu basketball what i like to call the lebron james question
1: this is ESPN's most prominent question that they asked from, like, 2012 to, to I guess, today still. I guess they're still asking it.
0: I gotta yeah. assume he's gotta be talking overall.
1: Yeah, you gotta assume so.
0: Or, or would it be coaches? Well, I guess if it's coaches, I feel like that's also...
1: Yeah, do you... A, do you well, do well you coaches is
0: pretty easy.
1: Well, coaches, there was, there, I feel like there's only been four. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, that's also true. Yeah, there's only been like what six, I think, in total, or seven. I don't so, know.
1: It's a very low amount. It's
0: a very low, very good continuity. But yeah, the Mount Rushmore of coaches would be too obvious. It would be, uh, Raleigh, got to have Severance, got to have Jay, and Henry Lowe.
1: Yeah, yeah, obviously.
0: Yeah, obviously, It doesn't get yeah. doesn't get any better than that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um.
0: But but I'm assuming he's talking players, so we should. Yes. We should yes. Let's,
1: let's focus on players here. Yeah, assuming we're we're going with the overall. 'Cause he's it it's, was... definitely,
0: it's definitely gotta be overall. It's so, about yeah. Mount Rushmore, historical, yeah. the legends. Yeah, it's definitely gotta be overall.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um all right, so for me, so I'm going Arizin, Pinckney, Kittles, and then Scotty Reynolds. Yeah, Arizon because you know, NBA Hall of Famer, he was pretty good at Villanova too on top of it. He created the jump shot, all that. Pickney because of the eighty five, and he was basically the face of that team, and he was one of the best centers that this this program has ever had kittles because he was one of the best all-around players program has ever had and then scotty because of all-american stuff they, they've all had their all-american accolades but and then of course the the 09 elite eight shot to send villanova to the final four so he has a spot in permanent villanova lore eugene what about your mount Rushmore? i'm assuming we have a little bit of a crossover here
0: yeah definitely got to have arizin he is the George Washington. He's the George Washington on that Mount Rushmore. No no doubt. To leave him off would just be heinous. I also went with Kerry Kittles. He's definitely on my Mount Rushmore. For me, I was torn between Pinckney and Howard Porter. Yeah. Just what he did in the 70s and just being so dominant. He was probably... He was he was a fantastic player. He was. Uh, if there just wasn't controversy... We're talking that oh the final four was vacated and it's like oh well I guess we're gonna have to go Pickney but in my in my opinion I thought he was a better player uh, okay. than Pickney at least um but so I'm gonna go with him on my rush Rushmore mm-hmm. and I'm gonna go with Kyle Lowry who's probably I guess more so for his what he did afterwards he's like we talked about last time when he donated the locker room or the million dollar gift he's probably the best Wildcats have panned out in the NBA since Arizona, And he's definitely the one that's gotten to be most successful in the Jay Wright era. Yeah. He didn't win the ring. Yeah. He, you know, wasn't a part of the shot and all that, but in my opinion, he's on there.
1: Yeah. I had a little, I struggled with that one too. I, I was between Scotty, Randy Foy, and Lowry. I, I kind of, I think I eliminated Lowry first for myself because just cause he was only here for two years. I, I find it a little hard to put him on for just for not all four.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's why I I had a little bit of a hard time because it's like, are well, are we talking about just what they did in college or are we talking about, like, overall career?
1: Right, yeah. Because
0: if we're just going to talk what they did in college, then I would definitely not have Lowry on. But if we're talking overall what they did in college and what they uh, went on to do, in my opinion, he's got to be on there just for his NBA success and what he's been able to do now. And the man donated $1 million, the largest gift. The, the guy's got to get something. I know he has a locker room, but he's going to need more than that. He's, he needs to spawn the Mount Rushmore.
1: <laughs> true. Well, that's true. Hey, this was a perfect question, too, considering I just saw Hamilton over the weekend. So I'm still in the American history mood. So this great, great question, by the way. Absolutely great question.
0: Did you give Ryan Archie the thought? I did not. I think it's way too recent to include anyone who's yeah. played in the last four years. But shout out to Archie for scoring his first NBA points of his career. Hopefully it lasts. But he scored eight points and nabbed four assists in his outing with the Bulls. Uh, The next question is from Kayla Smith. Big shout out to her. Welcome back to America. Was abroad last semester in Denmark. So it was totally out. But hopefully we can add her to the V-Hoop squad this semester this i'm looking at this right now it's not even this is not even a question where's the question mark where's the where's the proper punctuation where's this grammar I, I might have to reconsider putting her on the team but she just said talk about phil booth i mean i'll talk about phil booth
1: yeah you you, you <laughs> can talk about him go for it
0: uh did you know that he scored 20 points in the national championship game
1: no 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 did they i i i don't remember hearing that in the broadcast over the weekend did we go a whole broadcast without without them mentioning it unless i overlooked it
0: I think you did it, but it did come pretty late. It didn't come until like twelve minutes into the game.
1: Oh wow, man, they really are slipping. Like the, the Rafferty didn't mention it until the minute mark, so in the Georgetown game. So, yeah, that's just about the same time then. Wow, what if what if it's like all planned out that they have to mention it by a certain time, or else they get like fined or something?
0: Yeah, I'm sure they're looking at the notes, and that's definitely the first thing on the outline. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we got to mention this today. One thing I will say about Phil Booth is I feel like he's gotten under the radar a little bit, you know. He's Still a yeah. solid contributor, and I feel like he plays this role very well. And I feel yeah. I like what he does on the court. But when opposing teams look at scouting reports, or when we look at the players who just kind of transformed themselves, you know, obviously we talk about Jalen Brunson, we talk about Mikael Bridges, we talk about Dante DiVincenzo and how he's a quote unquote sixth starter. Eric Pascal is a high flying dunker who's starting to hit his threes now, so now he can stretch the floor. And obviously Amari Spellman. Five-star center going in. He had to sit out last year, and now he's wreaking havoc. Phil Booth, I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like he's gotten a little under the radar. Like, when you talk about who's going to hurt you but on this Villanova squad, he's probably the fourth or fifth guy on that list. Like, but that first comes to mind. Like, when you list out players, yeah. put Jalen, Bridges, and then B. Vincenzo Spellman, and then maybe, like, Phil
1: Booth. Yeah, no, I, I, guess, you, I guess you wouldn't. I, I, maybe i put Phil over Dante. I, I'd say he's fourth option for me. Just, that's just personal, but yeah, no, he's played very, very well this year, and like we barely even—I feel like we barely like we mention him in every every recap, but it, we don't. He's never like the highlighted performer. We, we know he's not going to light up the scoreboard. We know he's not going to take over a game. He's just going to be your, the X factor in in most of these games. If he's playing well, then usually maybe the rest of the team is playing well. He but his his games usually put the team over the top. And if he's not off, then the team kind of just hangs around before eking out a victory. So he's he's played absolutely great, and you, you really hope he keeps it up. And then he can hopefully have another chance to score 20 points in the national championship game.
0: That's all the time I have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or on Podomatic. You have options. Also, check back on, at vuhoops.com daily, frequently, definitely not occasionally, definitely more than occasionally. We'll have your basketball news, men's and women's, and all other fine things going on in Villanova athletics. Please follow vuhoops on Instagram or on Twitter at vuhoops, and you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at irepay5,
1: and you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at the Stance Man on Twitter.
0: Have a happy Tuesday. Let's get this dubbed tonight. And, Chris, I know you hate this, but Eagles are going to the Super Bowl.
1: No, no, stop.